Welcome and happy holidays to all you weirdos, Krakoans, and erstwhile members of the Avengers. It is time for your final Weird Dose of X of the year 2022. My name, as always, is Jason, and here with me today is my amazing friend, Ruben. Hey, Ruben, how the heck are you? Hey, great. Well, yep, we are back after our little post-Christmas lull there, so we're going to try to get our energy back up after eating probably way, way, way too much of Christmas cookies and everything else. Uh, on our plate today, we have three issues. We have X-Men Annual number one, we have Wolverine number 28, and we have Sabretooth and the Exiles number two. Uh, no real news this week, so getting right into it with X-Men Annual number one called Radiant, written by Steve Fox, art by Andrea DeVito. And this is a feature on Firestar, a.k.a. Angelica Jones. And that was, you probably got my uh, my little jest there at the beginning referring to uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friend, which is the cartoon where she, you know, she showed up first in the cartoons, ended up getting imported into the uh, the comic universe. And yeah, she's mostly been on non-mutant, non-X-Men teams, although she did start off, you know, being, you know, affiliated with the Hellions. And she's been, you know, mutant adjacent a lot but she's a mutant but she doesn't tend to hang out with me so that's really the the subtext well it's the text basically of this whole issue so it's got a, a, a cool looking cover and uh this cover which has a uh, scott blasting off his eye beams to the right and uh, uh angelica firestar i'm gonna call her starfire and firestarter and probably star fox throughout this episode so just just correct me ruben if i get that wrong again but it's got the two of them on the cover, kind of blasting off in different directions. Uh, and yeah, this is an evocation of the classic X-Men number 137 cover for the Phoenix Must Die issue. That had Cyclops and Jean instead of Cyclops and Firestar. And the, their sides are flip-flopped a bit. The poses are the other way around. But clearly, that's what this artist is going for. Uh, and that's, the cover looks that's cool. Probably, that's probably the best page of the issue. Yeah, I was gonna say this is probably the highlight of the book. So let's let's get some credit here. Who did this cover? Cover by Sebastian Chang. So good job, Sebastian. You like the cover. Uh yeah. So this to me just kinda well, kinda in a glass house throwing stones here, but I think it went on too long without enough of a point. Uh it talks about Starfire. I mean, we start off with her uh in the Green Lagoon. Let's pretend I'm doing that on purpose for humorous intent instead of just being an idiot. So it starts off at the Green Lagoon with the Starfire being attacked and insulted by the Hellions. I mean, these these are the original Hellions, not the Zeb Wells Hellions. Uh, and they think that she's not sufficiently committed to her mutant identity uh, because, you know, she's been on the Avengers and the New Warriors and a group called the Young Allies for like half a minute. Uh, and, you know, not usually on X-Teams, which is weird because the Hellions, you know, they're kind of some jerks and some nobodies. They've been, you know, affiliated with Emma. But I, they're not really in a position to be saying who it is and is not a real mutant. Anyway, she goes off to the morning meeting with the, her X-Men team, because she's on the X-Men now, which she stopped by the bar on her way to work. That's a little iffy, isn't it? I mean, does she need to go to those same meetings that Sage is going to? But, okay, Mo moving on. They needed to get this done, and that's what it is. Maybe, maybe this is an evening meeting. I don't know. Uh, so there are four things that are going on in the world that the X-Men might need to attend to. And what this really means, I think, is that writer Fox couldn't think of one good plot line, so instead he gives us four mediocre ones. Okay, here they are. Number one, Harrower, ooh, Harrower, is attacking Manila. Now, Harrower, besides being hard to say, is a Steve Orlando character. Brand new, uh, first appeared in 2021 in his Curse of the Man-Thing series, 
that classic. And she's currently appearing that brand new Deadpool comic that Jim has been loving so much on the regular Marvel show. Uh, she has some kind of plant powers, and her great aunt is one of those horticulture ladies. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. Uh, number two, Bi Beast is wrecking Vancouver. Now, Ruben, are, are you a, a big fan of, of Bi Beast? Do you have his Funko Pops and T-shirts and things? This is the A-list of villains. Yeah, that's what well, you're saying. It is, well, he's, Bi Beast is an android, and he's called Bi Beast because he has, I'm going to say two heads, but it's really two faces on one head. I don't know. It doesn't matter. What There's only one reason he's in this book, Ruben, and you can tell me, what is the one and only reason Bi Beast is in this book? Yeah, so they're playing heavily on Iceman being gay and wanting to be humorous. Iceman is gay? Why haven't <laughs> I been told this? The leather Why daddy haven't they emphasized this in his characterization? It's not obvious, yeah. There's some stuff that's a little bizarre. Yeah, he, he's here so that Iceman can make gay jokes. But it's okay. Well, not really. He's, he, well, he's, he, can, he's, he can basically allude to making gay jokes repeatedly and then make one half-ass joke, which uh, basically was lazy, lazy writing, in my opinion. <laughs> and even the other characters tell him, don't make these dumb jokes. And I think if you if the characters you're writing are telling you not to make the joke, as a writer, you should just not make the joke. I think that's probably a good sign. But yeah, I read it even worse than that. I just felt like all throughout they're like, "Oh, he's going to be making these jokes, right?" And then I think the the writer didn't actually have any jokes, and so he's like, "Well, I better make the characters shut him down." So yeah, it's kind of like saying, "Here's the thing: there might be jokes about, huh? Yeah. Huh?" And and that's it. Okay, that's that's plot line number two. Plot line number three: Mojo is being attacked by the ex babies. I don't think we even need to go into detail about that. That's it, it is what it you know what it says. That, that was the part that was a little they weird to me. Are in I always fact, in continuity. Okay. What they were well, originally there was some X Men who got de-aged, and those were like the original original X Babies. Right. And then I think Mojo, because you know he's always doing like TV stuff, trying to get ratings. I think he created his own set of X Babies to be like a TV show, kind of being a meta commentary on all the X Men spinoffs. You know, looking for popular that way, and so I think these are his own created X Men babies that have run amok on him. I think we're probably putting more thought into this than anyone associated with the book, but that's what it is. So number four, and the only threat in the book that actually almost matters is that a cancer ward in Florida is, quote, reporting that their Krokoan drugs didn't show up. And the X-Men are about to pass that problem along to X-Corp or somebody until Starfire, because it's her book, she says that, yeah, we should probably look into that. So the team splits up into those four groups with Scott and Starfire getting that hospital job. You know what's weird and about they, this? Tell me. You know, they're sitting in the situation room and they're, they say specifically the cancer ward in Florida is reporting that their Krakow and drugs didn't show up. Mm-hmm. The word for word, right? Like that's a quote. That was my quote. I wrote that into my script. Yep. Yeah. And then later the cancer ward supervisors like, uh, we have the cancer drugs, but there's, they've been tampered with or something like that, right? Like, yeah, well, what happened was they arrived as usual. Yeah, there's there's some sort of communication layer in the X-Men. You, you'd think this would be important to communicate what the threat is. So yeah. the drugs got there as usual, but they were stolen, and one employee there was nearly beaten to death. Really just, you know, somebody socked the crap out of them. Yeah. And that's a very different kind of a, oh, you know, problem report than a, a shipment hasn't arrived. Yeah, it's a little bizarre to me, that information. It's like they <laughs> wanted business. to have the moment... Like- where it seemed like not a big deal, but Starfire shows she has heart by saying we should look into it. 
And they also wanted to have the actual, you know, violent crime done by, spoiler alert, uh, another mutant named, what was his name? Not Tornado, Hurricane, Twister. Who is he? Not Red Tornado. Who is this Joker? A whirlwind. I knew it was, I, I was about to go dust devil. It's whirlwind. Yeah. But yeah, it turns out that this was stolen by Whirlwind. Uh, but before we get there, when they're doing the investigation, some weird things come up. So Firestar says that, you know, Krakoa gives these drugs away for free and, you know, production has been ramping up. Is that what Krakoa does? I thought they were selling these and making a, a tidy profit on them. Isn't, <laughs> isn't that what was going on? I'm, I'm, I'm literally asking. No, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I read that multiple times and, and I paused and I thought about it. I think Sebastian Shaw would have something to say about this. I thought the deal was we will sell to you if you recognize us, not yes. we'll give it to you for free just because, right? <laughs> that, that's what I thought, too. So I didn't know if there was a change in the book I hadn't read, but that no. seems weird. And I, know, uh, and I know they recently agreed to give away a small percentage, right, for purposes well, of they treating. agreed to use their... Uh, the resurrection. Resurrection. Okay. That's like right. some small portion of the resurrection time to uh, to humans. So yeah, I I, I think that's just a, a, a plain editing miss. I think that's just an error. Yes. Uh, the other thing that's weird is you know they're talking about their past and all, and Firestar asks Scott if he ever considered having his whole eye beam control problem fixed during his resurrection, because in continuity, of course, uh, he you know I think it was during that helicopter crash, right? That he, he has a, some yes. head damage that means that he cannot turn his eye beams on and off at will. He right. needs to wear that, the, the rose visor. cords visor all the time. Yeah. So he says, and this is another quote, we're asked, did you ever think about getting that fixed? And Scott just says, quote, not once. Like he never even considered this. Now, what do you make of this, Ruben? This is a writer trying to be clever and in a way that's sort of not needed, right? I actually don't think anyone's ever asked, like, why why aren't his eyes fixed? But, okay. I, I think Chris and I asked once or twice, but, you know, <laughs> that's just us. We, we had a lot of time on our hands to talk about things. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. I, I felt like the characters were written very one-dimensionally. And yeah. this, in my opinion, was probably the worst Cyclops that I've seen in a long time. It's very surface, very almost like a kid's version of the book. Like, you're handing this to someone who has never read the X-Men. And again, I mean, I'm going to beat this horse a little more. In universe, it doesn't make any sense for Scott not to have his eyes fixed, right? It's got to be super inconvenient for him to have to wear this visor 24-7. Otherwise, he might accidentally, you know, kill someone to death with these force beams. What I would must be so much nicer to just be able to not be shooting these things all the time and not have to look through pink glass, pink quartz all the time. Now, we as readers know the real reason that hasn't been changed because that's how Cyclops works, right? Yeah. We, we're and having some changes to the continuity, but people expect the, the Cyclops, one of the biggest characters in the whole X-Men line, his thing is he always shoots these beams. He has to wear the visor. Mm-hmm. So I, again, I, I think I like you were alluding to, I'd prefer the writers just, just not mention it rather than yeah. draw attention to discrepancy and then don't explain it. I don't know if there's, it's going for a, a, a rejection of ableism type thing. Like mm-hmm. some people have handicaps and getting rid of the handicap would be saying, I, I don't know, maybe. I think and that's what he's given that explanation. With, that explanation would be uncomfortable, but it'd be something. And it's strange because that's not actually what his mutant ability is, right? Like the inability to control the eye beams is not 
and part of the mutability. It's a defect that occurred because of an injury he suffered while, you know, as a child being attacked with his family by the GR. I don't oh, know. Yeah. There's, yeah. The, there's so, oh, another weird thing. I mean, it doesn't bother me as much as Callisto, and I'm sorry to derail this, but that is the one that bugs me the most because, you know, she's got the eye patch and the face facial scars, but all of that was based on childhood, like, abuse and trauma, and then she comes back and, like, I guess mutilate herself again to get back to that look. That was the one that bugged me more than this, but... Yeah, there's some things that just better not to explain, better not to think about, kind of just, that's the way it is. Okay, so beaten that one to death at least twice now. So, long, dragging story short, it turns out this hospital tactic is that mutant bad guy named Whirlwind. And another thing that's not explained is he's already stolen the drugs. He was there for a whole other nefarious purpose to kill a dude. He's done that. He took the opportunity to put some of the drugs in his van. I don't know why he didn't just take off to sell the drugs. Why is he sticking around to fight Cyclops and Firestar instead of just doing that? Did they explain that at all? No. It's bizarre because then he, he, when he first sees them, he's like saying, you know, damn it, not going to wait around and get hunted down by all of the Krakowans. I'm like, okay, then just drive off, dude. Like, nobody's looking at you and your van. But for some reason, he decides that he has to fight them. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand thematically what the writer's going for here, right? That he is a mutant who has you know, been a bad guy, but never been associated with other mutant, even mutant bad guys, right? He's just been one of those, you know, every Marvel character they come up, they need to make a reason for why they have whatever powers they want to give him. And this one, they gave him the reason, oh, he's a mutant. Very convenient. You don't have to explain anything. No bitten by radioactive dust storms. It's just quick and easy. It's a mutant. He's a mutant. This is what it works. So the idea that Firestar, who's a mutant now kind of reconnecting with her mutant identity is going up against a bad mutant who is rejecting that identity. I see where thematically that works, but I think the plot needed to make more sense to make that happen. But that's what we have. And yeah, of course, they they win the fight. No, no drama there. And the only other bit that kind of matters in those other locations is that we see Sync borrow the Venom Blast powers of Spider-Man, the, the Miles Morales version. Because yeah, he happened I, I to be nearby. That. I was like, I didn't know he could just take the powers that anybody has, or are they saying Miles? That was mentioned back in the earlier Children of the Vault story. Uh, in that story, he was able to borrow the powers of the Children of the Vault. Mm -hmm. And it was mentioned, oh, whatever change in his mutant abilities were getting stronger and stronger, and that right. he can now borrow non mutant powers as well as mutant powers. Mm -hmm. But I think this is the first time since then that we've actually seen that in action. So yeah. that was kind of neat. Yeah, and they have a weird little Spider-Man, Iceman, Firestar trio, but it's like a different Spider-Man. Right, another little wink-wink to the cartoon that no one in-universe knows about, but yeah. it's the thing, St Starfire, did I get it right? Yeah, Starfire only, it's Fire like writers Star. only know, oh, son of a gun, <laughs> uh, I've, I've written it both ways, seven, 75 so different proud, ways in my script here. So Angelica, I'm just going to go with Angelica. Okay. <laughs> uh, Writers only know like a couple of things about Angelica, right? Yeah. And they just lean on him over and over and over again. And this Spider-Man and his amazing friends is one of those very small number of things. So, yep, there it is. We got it again. We go back to the Green Lagoon. Uh, Angelica makes this little rah-rah speech about, you know, how she is too a real mutant. And now the Hellions like her. It's, it's very Rudolph, isn't it? You know? 
they they, they didn't let her play their little reindeer games, and and then she led the the sleigh, although they didn't even see her lead the the metaphorical sleigh, and and now they're all pals. Yeah, really quick and easy, and just just kind of a wasted opportunity. You know, I I'd like to have more of a feel for who Firestar is. I'd like her character to be kind of deepened. She has a cool background, right? She once you know, her powers once gave herself cancer. Uh, it was written about a little bit in this in a scene in this book when she's talking to Scott, and that's kind of a a cool thing. Don't don't get me wrong. Again, among the things that this podcast is officially against is cancer, for sure. Uh, but as a as a or his a hero's weakness to have that kind of weakness to your own power, that's something you can work with. And you know, just this story was just kind of badly written. It had little bits in it that didn't fit together. Uh, you know, Jim often talks about. The number of times he has to check the page count and see how long this book is still going is a sign of how good or bad the comic is. And I don't know about you, but I, I must have checked this 30-page book six times to see how, how much do I have left. So I would I would not recommend you know running out and picking up this book if you're a fan of, of Angelica or the X-Men or anything else. If you, if you really want to read some content about uh, Angelica... Go out and read the original miniseries that was written in like 1986 about her. That was, uh, uh who wrote that? Tom DeFalco. That was, that was, that was good. If you really want to know who she is, skip this, read that Tom DeFalco miniseries. What do you think? Uh, what's your wrap up there? Definition of an annual. I think it was trying to do something that would be helpful, which is give depth to this character and let people who only sort of vaguely know who she is kind of get a sense of what the, key elements of her character are, but they're just not delivered with any depth or in a way that's believable or interesting. And then beyond that, you just get a lot of, um, oh, this is cool moments, but they're not cool. So like we see the zombie X babies. I'm just like, okay, (laughs) Um, that's fine. And then, you know, there's a scene where it's like, oh, let's go fight some Sentinels, right? Because that's what X-Men always do. And there's jokes about, you know, writers always wanting to write the, you know, the storm era, like, I don't know what those characters were. Storm, Havoc, Cyclops, like, I guess the, like, late the 80s. giant-sized team, yeah. 90s giant-sized team, yeah. Oh, giant-sized team. It's a lot of stuff that's supposed to be, I guess, like, oh, you get it moments, but they're also surface level that I'm just like, you Wikipedia, wikipedia a lot of these characters. <laughs> right. and you read you the, first cha- the first paragraph of the Wikipedia, and that's what you wrote, wrote about. So yeah, uh, uh, in conclusion, five point five out of ten. Okay, that's all we need to say about the annual. Moving on to Wolverine number twenty-eight, the Beast Agenda: Colon Savage. Uh, it's an actual punctuation colon. It's not referring to a uh, a body part. Uh, written by Ben Percy, art by Frank Darmada, and I checked. There is no editor's note here saying that something like. This issue takes place before the events of X-Force number 35, but <laughs> there really, really should be, right? I mean, it makes no sense if it's not. It has to be before the last issue. And it's the same writer writing both, so the continuity should be really tight. I don't know if there was a delay in publishing one or the other. I didn't check. But yeah, either publish them in the correct order, or at the very least, give us an editor's note saying, here's the order they, they go in. Because back in that X-Force issue, at the end, Beast was handcuffed and arrested, led away in, in, in shame at his own, you know, awful fascist horribleness. And in this issue, in Wolverine, he's still, you know, 
operating freely and, and in charge of X-Force. So this clearly happens first. Yes. Another th- weird thing that happens in this recap is something I, I just hate. And that's when the recap gives us information that did not actually get communicated on panel in the issues that are being recapped, right? Yeah. So this yeah. recap says, I'm going to give the quote, after Beast killed Wolverine at that auction, which I still don't understand how he killed Wolverine, but whatever, <laughs> uh, Beast, quote, interrupted Wolverine's resurrection process, preventing him from regaining his full memory and cognitive function. Now, is that what you got in that scene last issue? What did you think was doing? It seems like he had been brought back to life, and then he put some sort of like mind control collar on him. That was what it looked like. Exactly. The way they kind of it. it was like not that he was brought back half part way, half part way with half of his memories. So I don't know if this is an editor just reading, putting something on the issue that Percy doesn't intend, or if Percy says, "Oh, actually, this is what I meant to have in there." Well, it says it in this issue. It's sort of like they read this issue and then they wrote the recap afterwards, which makes no sense. Okay, so this issue is narrated by that feral Wolverine, uh, you know, tells us about his, his really basic existence. Beast is keeping him in the dark, oh, literally yeah. in the, oh, that was scary. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> the whole issue. I just, I just think of a uh, Frankenstein voice. So, so Beast keeps him in this, uh, living for Cohen Cave, you know, tosses him the occasional whole dead animal to eat and occasionally takes him out on missions. He also seems to give him a new outfit pretty often, too, because Logan has a tendency to rip us up out of boredom. Almost like, you know, uh, an animal kept in too small a cage, you know, picks at its fur or feathers. Kind of gross. And so this issue's mission is uh, to kill this American general named NORAD, which always makes me think of uh, the movie War Games and NORAD being the North American Aerospace Defense Command. But okay, NORAD, that's his name. Uh, he, we're told this guy has these dangerous anti-Krakoan ideas. So Beast being the beast he is now, he's not going to try to convince the guy otherwise, you know, give him evidence. He's just going to, you know, murder him to death. Uh, it turns out though that Wolverine is even dumber than Beast thinks he is. And Wolverine runs off to kill the guy before Beast can disable the cameras. So Wolverine does exactly what he's supposed to here, right? He, he yes. murders the guy to death. Uh, and also a bunch of what I guess are secret service agents, you know, plain clothes guys in suits. Uh, so they're all dead, which was his job. And, you know, not going to lie that the bit where he actually kills the general, uh, the general puts his ear up to the door to listen to the other side and Wolverine just snicks the claws right through the door, through the skull and out the other side. You know, I'm, I, yeah, I'm juvenile enough to think, oh yeah, that was, that was kind of cool. Disgusting, you know, but cool. What, what did you think of that? Was that too much or was that enough for this mission? It was fine. I mean, it made me think of Scream. It made me think of Scream 2. I think I Scream 2. Oh, did they do that gag there too? Yeah, there, there's a guy in a um, toilet stall. He hears something, he puts it up oh. against the door, and then a knife goes through it. I've seen those those movies, but not for, for many years. So, yes. Okay, maybe take partial credit away from, from Percy for that. I, I still thought it was pretty cool. And, you know, just to comment on the art here, Frank Darmada does... A good job getting Ben Percy's whole gross body horror kind of stuff across effectively. Very detailed pencil work for all the gross stuff. Not my favorite kind of art, but it does it does the job that the script called for, right? I don't think you can criticize that. I was never confused what was happening, so I thought it was, it was fine. Yep, and it, it gives that emotional reaction. Again, it's that kind of ooh, gross, but kind of cool at the same mm-hmm. time emotional reaction that you get like 
watching a, a horror movie like like Scream or, or whatever. So it does the job. Uh, yeah, so Wolverine does his job, but he's caught on camera doing all this bad stuff. And now the whole world, at least the parts of the whole world with access to American security information, know that this famous mutant and X-Man Wolverine just murdered all these people. Oops. Uh, yeah, that's really not what Beast was, was looking for. But again, entirely Beast's fault here. I don't think you can, you can blame Logan because he's just, you know, he's just an animal here. He's just, you know, a dog. The dog was let off the chain too soon and the dog did what the dog was trained to do. Mm-hmm. So Beast and Wolverine get back to Krakoa. Beast is really annoyed at what he thinks is Wolverine's screw up. Uh, Beast locks him up in the cave again and gives him some like painful electric shocks for good measure. I don't know what that's supposed to do, all the, you know, make Beast feel better. And then Beast has an argument with Sage because Sage sees, you know, the news coming in about this mission gone wrong that she didn't even know about. Uh, mm-hmm. Sage seems completely sober in this issue. So again, I don't know if it's just continuity or what, but Beast refuses to give her any information about what's up with Wolverine. Uh, and later on, we get this data page of Beast's testimony in front of a U.S. congressional committee. What what did you make of that? It was somewhat interesting, but the first part was maybe overridden with the, you know, call me Beast, that's my mutant name, don't call me doctor, I don't recognize your mm-hmm. human establishments. I'm like, man? <laughs> yeah, just he weird. does that, and he throws around, like, political phrases that are associated with you know, political people that Ben Percy doesn't like, which is kind of like, you know, talked about like deep state and things like that. Uh, you know, in, in the X-Men universe, in the Marvel universe, there are deep state problems every other issue, right? All secret cabals and conspiracies in every government in the whole world. So if any universe, deep state is a real thing, it's, it's going to be this one. So I think just using that real world phrase to, you know, to, to throw some, some stink on, uh, on, on beast. And to throw some beast stink on real world people, yeah, maybe maybe kind of wins a little bit. And and also, why is Beast even testifying here? What's what's the timeline? How quickly did this happen? Because again, this must be happening before he gets arrested, I guess. And I I don't think Congress works that quickly. And why would Krakoa and Beast agree to testify? Did the Quiet Council make him do this? If if the Quiet Council told me how to do this, shouldn't we get to see that scene? I thought this was kind of a now, I, I, I like the idea of the data pages when they make sense in universe. And I don't think I'm having trouble suspending my disbelief to say this actually happened. I don't think it fits in the story. Yeah. I mean, Sage basically says we don't testify before Congress. That was basically declaring war on the United States. So it sort of suggested that he had to do it. But yeah, it seems very cavalier. Have, this sort of such thing just such leverage over the whole world. Yeah. Yeah. Again, if, if they made him do it, I would want to see that happen. More than just Plus, be told universe, right? Like clones oh, yeah. and duplicates. That stuff happens all the time. Like that hard just to put out a press release. It wasn't us. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, and and uh, Beast tries to let the cat out of the bag about the CIA's X desk a little bit, thinking, "Oh, if you're going to get me in trouble, I'm going to get you in trouble." Which really just reminded me that we haven't seen Wolverine's uh, friend who looks like the Big Lebowski, or you know, the Little Lebowski, the dude. We haven't seen him in a few issues, right? Yeah. Last we oh, saw, he was at him. that at that uh, auction where where you think Beast killed him. Yeah, because remember they they had a conversation at the end. 
Right. But yeah, even if whatever happened to him, I don't know if Percy wants us to forget about him and that's going to be the big twist at the end that changes things. I think he's got to come back into the story in some form at some part. Okay, so after that nonsense, uh, Wolverine's left back in that Krakoan cage. Uh, Krakoa itself doesn't seem to approve of this, which, you know, we've seen Krakoa make judgments like this in the past. Uh, there's no mention here of, of Doug Ramsey or Warlock or those weird things happening with those guys over in Legion of X, right? This is just Krakoa acting on its own. Krakoa lets Wolverine out of the cave, and Wolverine happily romps around the island like a golden retriever for a while. He saves a mutant kid from drowning, but she and her little friends are all scared of him, and, you know, no, no blame there. Well, I actually thought that to- part was a little weird, because they talk about it, they describe him as a monster, and I'm like, he's one of the most famous, noteworthy people. Yeah. On the island, right? Like in the whole world, really? Yeah, yeah. If you had like but a on the island, Elon Musk or Berserk, Jeff Bezos, or <laughs> name whoever, right? Like you didn't snap oh, the art, image, right? Yeah, would sure. be like, who's that? <laughs> and maybe if it's well, one well, kid, be like, okay, that kid is, doesn't know. But there's there's ben a lot. Percy of just Ben Percy just lifted this scene straight out of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Okay, right. That's that's what this is. This whole thing is, and the kids were scared of Frankenstein there. They didn't know who Frankenstein was because he had just been stitched together. So the kids are scared of Wolverine here. Are we supposed to recognize these kids, by the way, or are these just kind of new randos? There's one with bumpy red skin, one who looks like a bird, and the green alien kid with butterfly wings, and the girl who almost drowned had like arm tentacles. Yeah, I think if we had been tight with new mutants, we would have known who these are. I feel like I saw them at some point. It certainly looks like the type of kids who were... Hanging around with like Gabby and friends yeah. and new mutants, right? The bird maybe ones maybe were there. Somebody like okay. child beat or something. But anyways, okay. So Wolverine has that little, little adventure. He's sad about the kids rejecting him, and so he 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 cuts himself. I mean, it's it's really even talks in the narration talks about he has this bad stuff inside him. He has to let the bad out, and it feels good from let the bad out as he uses his claws to just you know horribly cut his own forearms. Mm-hmm. Really gross. And I guess this self-harm incident triggers Krakoa to open up and bring him back inside again. And this time, not just into a cave, but into the pit, right? The, yeah. the cover, hey, didn't actually yeah. lie to us. Surprise. And here in the pit, Krakoa feeds him these like horrific nightmare visions of Wolverine turning into Sabretooth and still, even in his own dreams, he's still self-harming with the claws. It's really, really dark in a, in a, in an unpleasant way. What What do you think was supposed to, what are we supposed to take from this? Uh, I kind of skimmed these pages and I was like, okay, these are the Ben Percy needs more gross imagery for his Wolverine comics. So I don't know. I, I don't I'm even hoping know there's a point, right? I, I don't <laughs> mind dark imagery if there's kind of a point we get to. This kind of yeah. seems like gross for the sake of gross. Who's Silver Fox? Do you know the answer to that? Oh, I didn't look Silver Fox up. I'm sure it's some, I mean, some woman uh, uh, Logan was connected with in the past who ended up d- dying horribly. That happens every version of Logan's past. That happens eight times. It must be one of those. Is she redheaded? They're usually oh, redheaded. She <laughs> sort of looked like Silver Sable, but I was like, that's not the same. Ah, no, she's not. Never mind. She has dark no. hair. Well, Whatever. anyway, she's so that's, that's where we end the story with Wolverine in the pit, you know, being tortured by Krakoa, I guess. Not really sure why. Uh, the next issue is called Pit of Despair, which sounds cheerful, right? I guess it's a reference to Princess Bride, right? The Pit of Despair that they, they hooked uh, Wesley up to. 
So maybe it'll be kind of funny, but I, I doubt it. Uh, are we going to catch up next issue to uh, X-Force? I don't think so, but I would hope so. So yeah. yeah, so this issue, like you've said over and over, chock full of Ben Percy body horror. The art did that pretty well, even though it's not a thing I really wanted it to do. I thought that that uh, successful slash failed assassination mission was kind of fun, but I'm I'm ready for this beast character arc to finish up. I think I've said it the last time we've had <laughs> chapters in this in this character arc. It, yeah. It's time to wrap this thing up, and this issue is taking us literally backwards. Right, yes. we were somewhere in X Force, and this story ends earlier than we started that last story. So let's let's wrap this up, Ben Percy, for mostly for the art and for that little assassination bit. I'm going to give this a six out of ten. But ready to move on. Yeah, I, I think I'm at that as well. The art's pretty good. I can't go below six, but yeah, exactly. I'm very much in the realm of don't care about this story at all at this point, and that's pretty bad. Marky Marvel character, and I don't even and one that I don't like. Right? Like I would love to have strong opinions, but I just read it and just like okay. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame. Ben Percy has two books to tell this one story, and it's it's just kind of stuck on repeat. I mean, my guess is this ends with Krakoa taking him into the pit and, like, fixing his memories, and then he comes out and gets his revenge on Beast. Yay. It almost seems like the revenge on Beast is overdetermined. There's too many different people and groups who need to do it. And we've kind of seen it start to happen. Again, we saw him get arrested, so we'll see what uh, how Logan ties into whatever comeuppance he gets. But moving on from Wolverine into a very different kind of a book. This is Sabretooth and the Exiles, number two. This issue titled Chimera Protocols, or Chimera? Never quite sure how to, how to say that word. Whatever, it's written by Victor Laval with art by Leonard Kirk. And this is another story that's trying to teach us something, right? He has definite ideas he wants to get across, which I said there weren't enough ideas in the Wolverine issue. This one maybe has too many pushed too hard, but I find this issue a lot more interesting than Wolverine. I, I have criticisms and questions, but it it's more ambitious, right? It's trying to do something that literature, and I know it's comic book, I'm still going to call it literature, something that, that fiction can do, right? Other than just gross you out for a while. I'm, so. I'm sort of sad reading these Sabretooth and the Exile stories because I look at it and I'm like, I feel like a different writer writing this exact same story could have been, you know, uh, for me, a home run. Something I really, really would have liked, but I feel like Lavelle um, maybe doesn't know how to write comics yet. There's just some things that like stick out as just annoying, like scenes where they're you know you see a faraway shot of, of a vessel they're in, and then like a narration box to that vessel, and somebody says something, and I'm like, I have no idea who said that, right? You don't have different colored narration boxes to tell you like this is this character, is that character. Yeah, some of the. X's like, and O's, your basic techniques of comic writing could use a more polish. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, and so it's it's close, right? Like I think it's he's got an interesting cast. He's got a story that is starting to become more interesting than it was initially, but it's just not there yet. You know? Whenever I see them bring these non-comic writers in to do comics, I always I always have the same comment, and maybe it's getting repetitive, but I think it's still true. I wish they would pair them up with an actual comic writer. I, and that's probably what the editor should be doing, right? If it's not going to be the editor, then, you know, hook them up with one of the other X writers or another writer just, just for the, the mechanics of doing it to bring in the new ideas, but to, you know, make their learning curve a little, a little better. And I struggle to, last thing I'll say about this is when I say the team is interesting, 
It sort of is, but also I don't know these characters, right? <laughs> like some not of them at all. Are brand so new. So and some like, of them are just obscure. Like, how do I get attached to these things that are happening? And you know, I know, I know Toad, I know Nanny, I know Orphan Maker, I know Sabretooth, but these other characters, I they probably exist. But they're either deep cuts or brand new, and I just yeah. So I think I think them. Third Eye is brand new. He may be the only brand new one. I'm not sure about Melter. Probably Melter being new. Necra's been around, and then yeah, the the others are mostly known. Uh, so, so yeah, it's a, it's a mix of obscure and not so obscure, like Nanny and Orphan Maker, and then I mean, brand new. Is what's Necra's power set? <laughs> oh, she gets stronger when she's angry, angry or has okay. dark emotions, something like that. And she looks very vampiric. To me. Um, what about Oya and Madison Jeffries? Oh, uh, see, Madison Jeffries, he comes from Alpha Flight, I think, and he has like control of inanimate objects to okay. whatever extent the plot requires. So he can like talk to machines and make plastic into boats. <laughs> okay. Well, this is yeah. I guess the problem then is me. I just don't understand the story, and I maybe I should better. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about that story. So when last we left our our semi heroes, they'd all just gotten back together mostly. So Orphan Maker has been captured by Orcus, and that's a real problem. But mm-hmm. Sabretooth, who everyone else was running after, had escaped from Orcus. Busted up one of their giant airbase in the process and stolen back Bling's sailboat, which they're all now, except Orphan Maker, riding it. Mm-hmm. So we open up with Necra beating the living snot out of Sabretooth, right? Presumably because he abandoned them all in the pit back at the end of the previous miniseries. And this is important because we see Victor is not healing back up as quickly as he should. And this is related to this device called a Barrington coil. That evil scientist for hire, Dr. Barrington, implanted in him. It's messing up his healing, his enhanced senses, all his mutant stuff. And it really seems to be a stand-in for, like, an IUD for mutant powers. Did you get that that feeling, too? Yeah. And I think that's intentional, because if the not-so-hidden agenda of the previous miniseries was to hold the prison system up to scrutiny and say, hey... Are we actually doing what we're trying to do here? Does this work? This miniseries seems to be looking at medical experimentation, specifically with regard to female reproductive health. Well, we'll see more of this theme later. It's an it's an odd theme for a comic book, but it, it's something different, and, and I'll go for different. So that fight ends, and Oya and Necra go off to have a chat, the main purpose of which is to remind us readers that back on Krakoa, Doug Ramsey gave Necra a skull-shaped seed that she was supposed to throw at Sabretooth's feet the moment they found him. Necra hasn't done this yet, and she tells Oya and, and us that the reason is she doesn't know what the thing will do, and also she's just not that big on following orders of governments. Okay, so that gives her some characterization. We cut to Dr. Barrington's lab on Orca Station 2, because her previous one had just gotten blown up. She's trying to convince her boss, whom she calls GC, or General Contractor, that she's made a major breakthrough and should be reported up the chain. And this is another theme. We got we're spoiled for choice when it comes to themes, is her struggle for recognition and power within the Orcus bureaucracy. So I get the feeling that maybe Victor Laval's work in the bureaucratic organization didn't like it and now is is taking his revenge. And GC here is shown in silhouette only, intentionally mysterious. Did you what what vibes were you getting from from GC here? Uh I don't care vibes. <laughs> it's not that interesting of a character. He's he's shadowy and he doesn't want to advance. Let me see if I can I can tempt you to being slightly more interested. Okay. Try now, it. last issue in in one quick panel when yeah. Sabretooth was about to blow up Orca Station Six, 
he found some information about GC in the computers. Do you remember that mm-hmm. at all? No. Information we didn't get to see. We just saw Victor's reaction. He was really freaked out. and said, oh, this is too big for me. I'm going to need some help. Mm-hmm. And some speculation online suggests that perhaps GC is none other than Graydon Creed, the human and very anti-mutant son of Sabretooth and Mystique. Now, would that be interesting? Yes. Now, I didn't know that character existed, so that is interesting. He's interesting. Now, uh, Mystique has some very interesting children scattered around the Marvel yes. Universe with very different fathers. Yeah, fathers. up with uh, Sabretooth. That's a strange oh, one. Yeah. I, I haven't read that book. I think there's probably, you know, she was, I don't think he knew he was hooking up with Mystique because that's Mystique's thing. Uh, yeah, so the child was born being completely human, <clears throat> and Mystique kind of abandoned him. You know, again, a lot like Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. And he grew up to be human and to find out about who his parents were and to get these very anti-mutant feelings. So he's been attached to other anti-mutant organizations to see, so to see him yeah. working with Orcus makes complete sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So I think that no, could that, be that is Okay. I'm, I'm more intrigued about who GC is. Okay. I'm, I'm glad. I hope maybe some of the listeners are a little more intrigued too, because I, I think this book has some things going for it. So. Another thing going on here is that Barrington and her creation, called Creation, are trying to break into Orphan Maker's armor. So Orphan Maker is being restrained. It has lots of very cartoony, like drills and spinning blades just bouncing off his armor. It seems like something out of like George Jetson, you know, a very kitty cartoon, just having no effect on it. This is the story <laughs> angle I am interested in. I have always wanted to know more about Orphan Maker and what why is he in the suit. It is weird that this big thing is is happening in a book way off on the side, though, right? It almost makes you feel like we're not really going to know what it is. Yeah, I don't think I don't think the X community at large is really curious about. I don't think the next giant crossover is spinning out of this book. I mean, one spun out of uh, you know Eternal, so anything can happen. But oh well. So I'm I'm going to back up and talk about creation for a minute. So this was Barrington's former partner. Commander Kruger, back when the two of them first appeared in that Children of the Atom book that you might want to forget about, but they were in that. And Barrington has been doing her whole mad scientist thing on mutants, stealing their powers and giving them to Kruger, who now goes by creation. Kruger is the one who looks like a bigger, bulkier version of the Sentry. And I didn't notice this last week, and this is my bad, but uh, creation is supposed to be a woman. She's so big and bulky, it's hard to tell, but... uh, uh, Kruger, Commander Kruger was a woman back in Children of the Atom. And you can tell in the art here just the general proportions and hips and, and things. Yep, it's supposed to be a woman. So my bad there. Uh, yeah, so another bit with the, the mutant powers being stolen and, and, and given to her. So now Orphan Maker. Barrington and Creation can't bust into the armor, which was created by Nanny back when she worked for the right. This being like a major plot point of that Zeb Wells Hellions book that they can't just make more armor for her. They had to go back to the right and steal. I'm saying her when it should be for him, for Peter. They had to steal more armor for him. And how eventually do they come up with a way to get into his armor? You want, yeah, to, get, you want to tell us about this one? Yeah, this is another part where the writing just kind of failed me. The, the idea is, you know, you can't take it off him, but you can talk him into taking it off. Like he has the ability to unlock it himself. But yes, that's the only way to get this armor up. Now, does this seem like a feature that Nanny? would put onto this armor that she would trust she's kind Peter with Peter no. not yeah, and that's, to do a dumb thing. She knows Peter does dumb things all correct. the damn time. Correct. That's like one of his main characteristics. No, 
it would be very much like the only one who could take it off is Nanny, right? Like uh, much more by that. likely, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then that could be the thing. They'd have to get Nanny, and they'd have to get a key from her, or like a fingerprint, or whatever. But yeah, so that doesn't really make sense. And then they do this whole kind of reverse psychology thing to convince him to take his armor off, which takes like four seconds, and he starts to. And I know he's a simple person, so not so shocking, but I was like, seriously, he's not, I don't know. Yeah, and if he had this ability, I could think of like a dozen other times he would have taken his helmet off just from... You know, yeah, I almost don't think he would be motivated. I don't think he'd be motivated by her like sharing her conflict with GC and sticking it to the man and being your own person, <laughs> and that you take inspiration from that. This doesn't seem like the type of character that would get inspired by that, right? Yeah, not really. It almost feels like a dumber, like a dumber way would have worked better. Like here's a lollipop. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> yeah, you can't have it without. We'll show you a movie. We know he likes to watch movies. Yeah. But anyway, so while this whole silliness is going on, our exiles are tracking Station 2 to somewhere in the Ring of Fire. They know it's in the Ring of Fire because Third Eye saw this location in Barrington's mind last issue. Now, are you familiar with the Ring of Fire, besides the Johnny Cash song? It's it's not a very specific location. Uh, if you're, you know, people who have recently taken Earth Science in middle school may remember that the Ring of Fire is this chain of volcanoes on the edge of the continental plates, and this chain of volcanoes basically encircles the entire Pacific Ocean. You know, Japan up around through to Alaska, down into, you know, huge thousands of miles. So it's like saying, oh, we, we know where she is. She's in Asia. You know, it's just got to narrow that down a bit, but doesn't matter. Our heroes find that station too in like half a page and there they are. Don't worry about it. They found it. Uh, we do get a kind of a nice little flashback to Nanny's version of the events surrounding her finding Peter. Did you enjoy that that bit? It does have a Mr. Sinister camera. Yeah, it was Sinister. Yeah, I definitely like that. Yep, this talks about uh, Mr. Sinister planning on using Peter's gift as a weapon, like a self-destruct weapon, but then he, he determines the weapon is so strong, he's scared of it. It would kill him, too. He decides to kill Peter instead, and then Nanny rescued him. And we don't know if that's really what happened, but at least that's Nanny's version of what happened. And these events took place around issue number 40 of the original, original X-Factor title which is something I might want to look up and, and do some reading over over the New Year's holiday. So number 40 of X-Factor is where that kind of comes from. Yeah. Okay, I, so. I do appreciate these callbacks in, in ways that inspire you to read old stories. So that, that part was good. I, yeah. I did say it. It does show you know, that Laval either has been a longtime X-Men reader or or did his homework, because that, that makes sense. And it's not one of those, oh, look at me showing off a thing I looked up on the Wikipedia page. This seems like a, a meaningful connection. Oh, exactly. This, I don't think, is in the wiki page. <laughs> you went to Sinister page, right? Like, it wouldn't talk about this. If you went, it's probably not an Orphan Maker page, but in any event, this this felt deeper than surface level. So the Exiles track down Station 2, where Barrington and Creation are. They dock there. They wander around a bit, and they find this room full of, like, tanks holding what I presume to be these mutants that Barrington and company have been scooping up to experiment on steal their powers, and then kill. We're given the names of two of these mutants. Presumably, that means we're going to be hearing more from them. These are Herd and Bab. And they recognize Sabretooth as being, you know, one of the more famous or possibly infamous of all the mutants. Uh, before anything can happen there, Creation, that, that big goonie lady, busts into the room like Kool-Aid Man. Uh, Necra socks her one, but Creation says, hey, I'm not here to fight. Just terrified because Peter, who now walks in behind her through that hole, he took his helmet off, and she says, 
This killed Dr. Barrington. Peter says Dr. Barrington's not dead. Now, who do, who do you trust here? Who do you think is going to be proven correct? Creation saying Barrington's dead, or Peter saying, well, no, she's not dead. Yeah, she's not dead. <laughs> I would be shocked if she was dead. Just for narrative reasons, yeah. right? Although I guess you could go with creation being the, the main villain going forward, and this is like motivation, but... That would be a, a clever twist, wouldn't it? Because it seems like Barrington is the main bad guy, bad gal of this whole miniseries. So it would be creative to kill her off panel, you know, in issue number two of five, right? So that would be cool. But yeah, I think it's probably unlikely to. I think she's going to, maybe she's been changed somehow, or maybe she's just stunned. Yeah, my but guess I don't is think she's actually dead. kind of chemical exposure that give her powers or something. Like that. That's a, a very much a possibility. So yeah, Peter says she's not dead, but he does feel bad for like taking his helmet off. And yeah, we don't really have time for that though, because whatever was triggered by taking that helmet off has not stopped, right? Something inside Peter's armor, whatever his vague power is, is about to go critical. I don't know if it's like a nuclear blast or no one knows what it is, except it's, it's real, real Real, real bad, yeah, right? That's I am getting it. kind of annoyed with this. It's fine to keep teasing it, but man, they better explain this effing power. And, it, and every time they tease it, they raise the bar for how cool it better be once they actually have the reveal, right? They've teased it so much, it's got to be good. It's just like a giant Christmas present that's been sitting under your tree just with, with bows and ribbons, and it looks amazing, and you dream what it could be. The longer it's there... The, the more likely you're going to be disappointed by whatever turns it's out to be inside. It's a bag of socks. So, <laughs> uh, uh, for me, it turned out to, once uh, when I was a, like a teenager, it turned out to be a filing cabinet. I thought it was like a new computer because like this big, big, heavy box filing cabinet. So it, was, it wasn't a present. It was my mother nagging me to be more organized through a present. But we're not here for, for me to be on the psychologist's couch. We're here to talk about uh, Sabretooth and the Exiles. So, so yeah, they... Something real bad is going to happen. Who knows what? And the only person with a plan here is Third Eye. And his solution is to shift all of them to the astral plane. And in the art, at least, this seems to include Peter. So it's not like, oh, we'll go to the astral plane to hide while the bad thing happens. He's bringing Peter with them. Now, how this solves their problem, I, I don't know. But presumably, we'll find out you know, about a month from yeah, now. Yeah, I think you would so need to our, because our big they've indicated that if Peter goes nuclear, it takes out all of humanity all across the globe. So that, that made sense to me. Why do you think this fixes the problem, though? You think bringing his consciousness to the astral plane makes his body stop? <laughs> I think, again, we don't know what it is. This is the problem so. with me not knowing what Third Eye's power set is, right? I actually thought he was taking their full body into the astral plane. If it's just the consciousness, then that's kind of focused. Can bodies go to the astral plane? I, I thought it was just a consciousness kind of place. I mean, well, I don't know if Third Eye's okay, power in, set is, inside, that's the issue. Inside Legion's head, they're physically in his... Oh, it's... Astral plane is just confusing. I guess he can do whatever he needs to do. Uh, well, no sense speculating. I guess we could speculate. We do that a lot here, but I can't think of any good speculations. So I guess we got to wait. So before we leave this issue, I do want to talk about the issue's data page. Right? It's another letter from Barrington to Orcus asking for more funding and recognition. And it's very similar to her letter last issue. And in both letters, she tells a story of a real life, horrible medical ethics lapse. Right? In this one, she tells a story of doctors Pincus and Rock, who, again, in the real world, 
invented a birth control pill and needed some people to test it out on. And I'm not sure the details in the book are quite correct. I mean, they're being told by a villain in a Marvel book in a Marvel universe. So if she makes some errors, that's not the writer making mistakes necessarily. It's the character making mistakes. But either way, she tells a story of you know your basic uh, scientist experiment on the lower out of favor class to make life better for the rich in power class, right? Mm-hmm. And Dr. Barrington, I don't know why she's putting these bad stories in her pleas for more recognition, but she seems to think that these stories are showing that the positive ends of, of these experiments justify whatever horrible means it took to get there. And therefore, Orcus, you should let me do my horrible things and give me more money to do it. Uh, what, what did you think of, of that? Was it too heavy handed or was it? Just enough to be interesting. It gives me insight into Dr. Barrington's thought processes, so that part's interesting. And these are, you know, news stories that I'm not aware of, right? But um, I just wonder, is there, like, an agenda here? Obviously, there's an agenda here, yeah, very much. Yeah, I just need to, like, I almost want to research this, and then if it's accurately told, I'm like, okay, great, you educated me with the comic that's cool. Mm-hmm. But if I read it I and think find it's out definitely it's, got the broad strokes. Yeah, that it's inaccurate, it's going to piss me off. Yeah, I think part of the reason they went to, I think they went to Puerto Rico to do their experiments wasn't because, or at least wasn't just because, oh, that's poor people and who cares about them. I think there were actually like laws against birth control in the United States, so they kind of couldn't do it here. So I, I think probably the story is correct, but very much simplified in the book, which, you know. Not going to blame him for that. But also, we get an interesting description here of what this Barrington coil is supposed to do. So that's like the actual, beyond the thematic resonance, the actual content here. So Barrington says that it, quote, releases a chemical compound that suppresses activation of the mutant gene, which, you know, we've seen things that do that other ways in the Marvel Universe. So, you know, to have an implant or a chemical that suppresses things, that's reasonable. And she suggests that it might be used by governments to suppress immune outbreaks in their population, hmm, or by parents to suppress such outbreaks in their own families. And the word suppress is used over and over in this letter. And I'm sure that can't be, uh, you know, just a coincidence. And again, whatever metaphor you want to take for what mutants are or stand for, having governments or parents suppressing them, clearly we're not supposed to look at this as a good thing, right? A little heavy handed, but I thought it was pretty interestingly done. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make two predictions going forward, uh, inspired by this. I'm gonna say that a future letter from Dr. Barrington will make reference to that infamous Tuskegee syphilis experiment. Uh, right, that's a, that's a famous one. That's where people yeah, were yeah. left with their syphilis untreated, so that doctors could observe what untreated syphilis does. And again, I may be oversimplifying a little bit, but I think that's the broad strokes. And my second prediction is that the Barrington coil. What does the Barrington coil do? It shuts down mutant powers. Whose mutant power are we currently very much needing to shut down? Peter's. So I'm predicting that the Barrington coil will be the way to shut down Peter's mutant power so that the world doesn't end and also so that no one needs to decide what Peter's mutant power actually is because it's been shut down. That's my prediction. Is that crazy, or do you think you like those it? Are good, those are good theories. I would not have come up with them. And that actually is interesting development. And and if I get it wrong, it, I, I, I'm I actually going on a limp here. I'm either going to be right or wrong about both those things. So we'll see if, if I get anything correct, or at least be interesting or wrong. So yeah, I thought this was an interesting book. I like it better talking like you say, about there's it, some... and I think I struggle most with not knowing these characters. So maybe I just need to 
reread the issues with them a few more times to get my head around them a little bit better. They are interesting characters, and there's a lot of them. And it's not like there's only one or two obscure characters. They're mostly obscure characters. So it's it takes it takes some some work to to really learn all about them, unless you've been reading. Yeah. I mean, the, the real struggle for me is these issues. things just happen in the issue, and I'm like, okay, I guess they can do that. Like the whole thing with Third Eye, I, I couldn't tell you what Third Eye's powers are. Can he take take bodies into the astral plane? I don't even know what that means, right? So yeah, it's that's we well, know that. he has these these mental psychic type powers, but the exact like every other psychic in the Marvel universe, exactly what that means kind of varies from issue to issue and writer to writer. So I'm I'm okay going with it. I just hope there's a good explanation for what his plan is and, and why why it will work. Okay, so that is Sabretooth and the Exiles number two. I'm still not crazy about the book. It's got some flaws I could poke at, but to me at least, it was clearly the most interesting and worth discussing, worth reading book that came out this week. And I'm going to give it maybe a slightly aspirational 7.5 out of 10. Yeah, that's a little higher than I was going to go, but um, I... Originally around a six when I read it, and I think talking to you, I'm at a seven now. There, there is the most interesting story here, and these characters are starting to become more intriguing in what you know what they're working on. Yeah, and I think I'm enjoying Victor Laval's writing more as I'm reading more of it. Whether that's me getting used to the way he does things, or him progressing as a comic book writer, maybe a little column A, a little column B. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. Okay, so those are the books we want to talk about this week. Next week is the final new comic book day of the year, and none of the books that we follow here on Weird Dose of X are coming out next week. So I think Ruben and I, we're going to take a little week off. You'll miss us, we'll miss you, but it's either that or talk about a book that we're not going to like. Now, there is an issue of something called Timeless coming out on Wednesday. Are you familiar with this Timeless title, Ruben? Okay, well, this is, I think, the second time that Marvel's done this. At the end of the year slash beginning of the year, they put out this book that it's it's kind of just teasing storylines for the next year. It's almost like having people buy a coming attractions. Is this where X of Swords was teased? Because I did read that. I'm not sure. I don't think they did this back then. I think this is more recent than that. This is they use Kang to to tease things because he's you know back and forth through time. And I think it's a cool title because uh, it's a a reference to the old Timely Comics name, which was what Marvel was called back before they were Marvel, right back in the golden age when they published Captain America and the original uh, Android version of Fire Guy. That's not his name. Human Torch. Yes. You know, the name or all those things. Those were timely comics. So to have this, you know, occasional issue called Timeless, you know, I think that's kind of cool. Now, this is for the whole Marvel line. So I have literally zero idea how much X content will be in the issue. But I'm, I'm sure there'll be some, maybe something about Sins of Sinister, maybe some more stuff about other books. So I don't know if if like me, listeners, you'll be missing your X books, but you don't fancy reading those X titles that do come out next week. You know, maybe uh, maybe check out Timeless. And if there is any X news of note in that book, we'll we'll be sure to talk about it here. And then the week after that, we do have X-Men Red number 10, which is the last in that series before our big Sins of Sinister and X-Force number 36. And we'll see where that falls in the timeline of the downfall of Beast. Sound like fun, Ruben? It sounds like something we'll be doing. <laughs> I, I do look I'll take that for a yes. Okay. Yes. I, I'm, I don't care about Ben Percy anymore. 
So, well, I, I think we'll 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 have fun being angry at whatever dumb thing Ben Percy does next. So that'll be a good time too. So as always, folks, we invite you to follow us on Twitter at WS Marvel Comics. Visit our website, WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com. Send us emails and complaints, and you know, maybe not complaints, but you know, if, if you get polite complaints, we'll take those. Compliments are nice too. Whatever you got, send it to us. And until two weeks from now, go read X Men comics.